We're the Valentins. And we are passionate about people. Every human was created for fulfilling relational connection. But that's not always what comes easiest. We know this because of our wide range of personal experience, as well as our years of working with people. So we're going to crack open topics like dating, marriage, family, and parenting to encourage, entertain, and equip you for a deeply fulfilling life of relational health. All right, babe, we're back. We are back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dates, Mates, and Babies with the Valentins podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. If you're new to listening, um, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. We love talking about things, all things relational health, everything from dating to marriage to parenting. We have a blended family, so there's that. We talk about all kinds of things under that relational health category as it is our passion. So we welcome you. So good to have you. If you have been with us for some time, hey friends, welcome back. We're going to talk today about something that is really going to be relatable for any season of relational life you are in. We are going to talk a little bit about anxiety today. So definitely more of an emotional health topic, but um, anxiety itself has actually played a pretty big role in <laughs> in our relationship. We have been married, Jason and I, for a little over 12 years. And uh, we've got five kids, three adult kids and two toddlers. And both Jason and I have battled our share of anxiety from time to time in our marriage. And the implications of anxiety in a person's life and on a relationship are pretty widespread. And um, gosh, anxiety and depression specifically are two, I'm going to say plagues in our society, plagues in uh society in general right now. So many people battle anxiety and depression. And when you're battling anxiety, I think sometimes it feels like you're trying to fight an invisible enemy. Yeah. It's this invisible enemy and you would kill it if you could, but you just don't even know where to swing the sword. And we've learned a lot in our journey. I would say Jay learned a lot and then helped me learn a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're going to share, I think Jason's going to share his story a little bit about kind of his introduction to anxiety. And then a lot of what we've learned in our process of overcoming anxiety. And hopefully it will be really helpful for you guys today. Yeah. This is great. I love doing this podcast, this topic, because there's so many people that deal with it that like, I know instantly people are going to go, oh man, this was for me. Yeah. I can, I can use these tools today and get uh, a big measure of breakthrough. Anxiety has been in my life since I can remember. And I get emotional even saying that because I remember being 10 years old and having so much fear with my parents being gone. I'd call them at my friends' houses just because, I don't know, like I would see stuff floating in the toilet and be like, oh my gosh, did that come out of me? Am I dying? And I know it's even kind of funny to say that now, but that was a a reality that I lived in that I didn't even know was going on. So um, semi-irrational, anxious thoughts were really normal for you even as a kid. so much irrational fear when I was young. Part of that is the demonic was 
so real in our everyday Christian life. And I think that we've talked about that some on the podcast. I don't think so. Okay. On my Brave Co podcast I have, and maybe we'll talk about it some more, but you know, just the, the life that I grew up in as a young believer in God, you know, had both angels and demons in it. And that's just real. And part of not being able to fully comprehend and understand the, the, the heavenly the realms, realm, yeah. yeah, the spiritual realms was, was very scary for me. The other thing too is I didn't know that I had OCD until I was 38 and I didn't understand how it worked. And so I remember just going through puberty, like I'll give a, a embarrassing but dumb example. Like when a guy goes through puberty, I don't know about a woman, but when a guy goes through puberty, like all of a sudden your nipples get hard like underneath, you know? And mm-hmm. so I remember the first time I felt that, like I thought I had breast cancer. Like, do you know what I'm saying? As a 12 year old <laughs> yeah. kid, I was You thought terrified. something was wrong. Yeah, I went months without saying anything to anybody and just constantly checking, constantly feeling to see like, is it still there? And being so worried that I had yeah. something and really not knowing what was going on inside of me. And that's where a ton of my addiction came from, my addiction to masturbation, and um was it was driving my need for some sense of relief and release some sense of uh safety and comfort Mm -hmm. and you know didn't really understand how to explain to my parents and they didn't recognize the signs uh that wow he really struggles with a lot of anxiety last story i'll share but i went through large seasons of my life where i would end up on the floor in my parents room just I would crawl in there late at night, just so terrified. And sometimes my dad would get out of bed and lay next to me and, you know, he'd pray with me. And, and, but again, like we understood heaven and hell, we understood the, the spiritual realm. So that's often where we went to, to try to work through the anxiety that I was dealing with. But again, a large part of my anxiety wasn't rooted in the spiritual. It was rooted in the mental slash emotional even just uh, brain chemistry. Because yeah. we know now, after all these years, yep. it's actually a bit of a hereditary thing. There's yeah. a lot of your family members struggle with a measure of anxiety. It has, you know, yeah, brain yes. chemistry is involved for sure. Yeah, and we didn't understand a lot of things that we, you know, back then that, that we understand today. Right. So I would, I would literally say I suffered for a very long time. With anxiety. With anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really was. Yeah, and interestingly, although I wouldn't have my experience was, um, it played out very differently. I would say I too, from a really young age had trouble with anxiety. It, for me, it showed up in, um, for whatever reason, when I was super, super young, I kind of took on this burden of like being overly responsible for things. And so I would, I remember there was a season in my life where my parents were testing me for milk allergies because I just had diarrhea all the time. And they thought it was because I was allergic to dairy. So I was on rice milk and doing other things, you know, as a young kid, not eating dairy because they were trying to rule out, you know, maybe these are food allergies. Turns out I was so stressed out that my system was not even working properly. I felt overly responsible for my siblings when we were at daycare. I felt uh, overly responsible for the well-being of 
my siblings when we were at home. I just was that kind of kid that just took things on that weren't mine. And I felt nervous all the time. Who's going to take care of X, Y, or Z? And not even because I didn't have parents that were doing it. It was just my makeup. And for whatever reason, I'd attached myself to this overly responsible thing. And it caused tons of anxiety in my life that I didn't know how to pinpoint as anxiety until after we were married. Yeah. And so many people experienced that kind of uh, reality. And so, you know, I just looked up what is anxiety, the definition, intense, excessive, and persistent worry about fear in everyday situations. And so, you know, to me, like, there's some things that have really, really helped me a ton, some specific tools that I want to share with people. And the, the tools that I'll give tools for just for basic anxiety, but I first want to start with this. Like the tools that helped me the most was um, I had I had had a nervous breakdown in 2009, and then we had gotten married in 2011. I was on the the tail end. I was on medication, so clonazepam and Lexapro is what I was on, um, which I won't go into my whole story now because it's just too long, but. Basically, I'd lost use of my arms. My body had shut down. That's why I had to get on medication. Well, I stayed on that medication for quite a long time because it was helping me ner- regulate my nervous system and helping me cope with the emotions and the fear that I didn't know how to cope with. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn a whole new skill set while being on this medication to help me. And um, when Edie was born, so in 2000, what was that, 19? 20. 2020, um, sorry, 2020. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 2020, I had decided to come off my clonazepam. So I'd been on it for too long, uh, in my opinion and longer than you wanted to be. Yeah. And I was on a really low dose and I had, I had weaned myself down to a really low dose. Um, but I just decided, okay, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And so after I had, I had started to wean myself off of that medication, boom, here comes all of the stress and fear and anxiety that I used to deal with. And it was just like so crazy. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but when Edie was born, I had completely weaned myself off over a five-month period, a four- or five-month period. But I, I felt like I was back in the old anxiety that I used to deal with using the tools that I knew how to use and one day I got on the phone with um, Dr. Margaret Nagib, and I was talking to her, and she said, you know, Jay, what you're telling me sounds a lot like what people who deal with OCD deal with. And she said, I'm not telling you that you have OCD. I'm just saying that I think that we should use some of the tools. And I was like, I don't really care what I have as long as you can help me, because I was desperate. And so she said, I'll, I'm going to give you these three things that I, that I want you to, to learn. And um, so anyway, she taught me the three R's, which the first one is to recognize. And see, what happens in your brain if you have OCD is basically your brain gets stuck like a record player on a thought, and it just dies deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. So most most everyone has the same type of thoughts that go through the brain, like, oh, there's germs on that table. I should probably just wash my hands. And then you go throughout your day. Mm-hmm. Somebody with OCD goes, oh, there's germs on that table. 
I wonder if I'm going to get sick. I wonder if there's germs on this cup too. I wonder what else, if there's germs on the microphone and you start going through, like if I get germ, like if I get sick, then this is going to, and you just obsess, right? And the, you get so exhausted because there really is no end to it. It's just a deep obsession hole that just dives. It's just unending. And so, um, but what you can do is if you can get your brain to focus on something else, even for a very short period of time, 30 seconds. It's like when you're a record player at home, you used to skip, 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 and then you just move the needle along. And then, oh, it's back to playing its normal track. That's what your brain does. Your brain's literally just stuck. And so what she taught me was that I first need to recognize a thought that is OCD. And I can do it now almost unconsciously because I've worked so um, diligently at this, Mm -hmm. but I get a thought that comes to my head. Like I'll give you one that used to plague me a ton. Um, like what if I have to pee a lot today? It's a stupid thought, right? But what would happen is I would get fear about having to pee and then I would have to pee all the time. Like I'd pee 20 times in a day because now I have anxiety the same way that I feel like we need to like tell the listeners part of the reason why you had that question or thought was because your body doesn't process sugar well. And so you've had seasons where you have had to pee a lot, which has been an indicator of something's off in your body. You're not completely well. Yeah. So there's a random thought. Otherwise (laughs) I could also produce that same thing by having the fear that it's going to happen because again, one of the symptoms of anxiety is uh, frequent urination, mm. just like you had diarrhea when you had lots of anxiety. Right. And so, but for, for me, I would get stuck in that and then I would obsess about it and yeah. focus on it. So again, the first, the first step is to recognize the next step is to relabel. And the last step is, uh, to, to refocus, recognize, relabel, refocus. And so I would get this thought in my head and go, I would start down this pathway of like starting to obsess and be like, Oh, that's not me. That's OCD. So we have this phrase that is really helpful. That's not me. It's OCD. It's not anything I need to solve. It's not even like, this isn't coming from me. It's just this OCD thing. Then I'm going to, so that's recognizing and that's relabeling. That's not me. It's OCD. And now I'm going to refocus and refocusing is where all the magic happens. And so part of what I used to do, just to make it really clear, is I used to battle the thoughts. I would battle the anxiety with scriptures. I would, God doesn't give me a spirit of fear. I'd battle it with all this stuff. Yeah. I try to battle it with logic. Like, it's okay if you pee 20 times a day because blah, blah, blah and I'll just drink more water. <laughs> but that's just an unending cycle of exhaustion as well. Mm-hmm. So refocusing is I'm going to break this rumination by shifting my attention to some something else. We don't actually have the ability to do two things at once like people claim to do. Your brain, uh, unconsciously, you can drive a car and carry on a conversation, but you can't read a book backwards and write. Your brain can't do those two things. Like You can't be reading a book and be thinking about this and be writing and thinking about what you're writing. And so... If when your brain is stuck in this rumination 
where it's going over and over and over, if you can fully focus on this other thing right here, it has to pick one or the other. Right. And so one of the tools that you can do is you can read a book backwards. I don't know if you ever tried to read a book backwards, start at the end, start at the last page, start at the right side of the bottom of the last page and start reading backwards. Incredibly hard. But if you start doing that a minute later, uh, you start to come down mm. because I've stopped that rumination. That wasn't one that I used a lot. Um, you, I could play with the kids. So if I got fully in engaged into the kids, I could put somebody on a jet ski, right. And hit go. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going 80 miles an hour across the lake. You can't think about your taxes and staying on the jet ski at the same time. Right. So it breaks that rumination, which that's not very handy because how often do you have a jet ski around? Not very often. <laughs> oh, I get on the jet ski every time I have anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> what worked the best for me, and this is going to sound super Christian, is um, getting into crazy, ridiculous thankfulness. And <clears throat> that's my go-to every single time. And I'm telling you like, guys, this is the difference between me getting in like getting into a nervous breakdown and me having to get on medication and me living a healthy whole life. This is how stupid it is. Like I always feel like people are going like, except for it's like not stupid because it's biblical. I feel like people are like, give me a better tool. Like give me, give me nine more things to do. Like I would get into crazy thankfulness. So again, back to the cycle, right? I'm starting to, I get this thought in my mind. Um, I feel anxiety come over me. My palms are a little sweaty, whatever, dry mouth. And then I realize, ooh, this isn't me. This is OCD. And now I need to refocus. Now I'm going to get into ridiculous thankfulness because I'm going to break this rumination. And so my thankfulness is in, uh, very intentional. And I start to go into, God, I'm so thankful for my daughter that I got to go on a bike ride this morning, even though she had a really tough time getting on the bike, I'm so thankful that I got to be there for that moment to show her how to regulate her emotions, to show her that she's loved and cared for, to bring some peace and stability. Lord, I'm thankful for my wife that I got to eat lunch with today at CR Gibbs. We had fish tacos that I love so much. Like I get into really detailed, specific, and what happens is after you do it a few times, it starts to work. Well, first time it'll start to work, but the second time it builds confidence at like, oh yeah, this friggin' works. And the third and the fourth time. And then what happens is I don't have to even use the thankfulness that much because I start to realize when I get this kind of thought, all it is is just this crazy thought that I don't even have to focus on. And if I want to, I can go into my thankfulness, but that thought's just gonna go away anyways. And that's the ninja level that I've gotten to now is I'll literally be walking through Costco and I'll have an OCD thought come into my brain and I'll just recognize like, oh yeah, that's that stupid thing. And I'll just keep going with my day and it doesn't trip me up. So that's been massively, yeah, incredibly helpful in my life. Yeah. And I really think that it will helpful, uh, help a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but can I give just a couple more tools like for people who are, the, the important thing, if you don't have OCD, then the first thing that I think that you should do if you are struggling with anxiety. Sorry, can I interrupt for yeah. one second? Go okay, ahead. so I just wanna say, I don't know that everybody could label themselves as having OCD, 
but rumination in and of itself yeah. is a very common it is. symptom of anxiety. I am a master ruminator. I don't think I have OCD, but everything that you talk about with your OCD, I can relate to because of how much one worrisome thought will play over and over and over <laughs> in my mind. So I just think that OCD or not, what we're talking about is what anxiety does to people and how to actually break out of cycles of anxiety. So, it's okay, true. go ahead. It's great. Thanks for doing that. Um, you first have to identify the story you're telling yourself because anxiety is, is it's coming from your thoughts. Yes. Is this massive story that you are, that you, that you're building up. And most often the majority of the time, it's actually about what's not happening. <laughs> you're Especially worrying, in my life. Yeah. You're worrying about <laughs> stuff that hasn't actually happened yet. Right. It's not like, Oh, I fell down and I hurt my toe and it's cut open and I'm bleeding. What if I die? Yeah. yeah that's not usually a thing. No. So you have, you're telling yourself this story that isn't actually true or hasn't come true. And the anxiety about having anxiety is one of the most common anxieties as well is people get people who experience anxiety a lot will get anxiety just because they're afraid that they're going to have anxiety. Totally. It's this crazy beast. And so a couple things that are really helpful is to stop and go, okay, what's the story I'm telling myself? And is it actually true? Not does it have the potential to be true. We have to remember our strongest instinct, our number one instinct is our instinct to survive. And so it's why we like bad news is because when we hear good news, we don't link that to valuable information that's helping me to survive instinctually. We just go, oh, that's cool. When we hear bad news, we go, okay, do I need to know this in order to help me live? And so <clears throat> that's, that's a massive part of why we get so stuck on our, these stories that we're telling ourselves is because we think that they're vital to our survival. Yeah. I have a, a great example of this that's probably relatable. So although I, I mentioned at the beginning that I definitely had anxiety as a young kid, I wouldn't have known to label it that until much later. Um, I, when we were first married, you know, coming into a blended family and taking on an incredible amount of real responsibility with three kids and a marriage, and I was working full-time as a pastor in that season, I found myself in anxious thoughts a lot. And one of the things, I, you know, I want to give an ex example of the stories you tell yourself. One of the areas of my life where I experienced the most anxiety was in the area of sickness. Mm -hmm. And what I know now is that the kids getting sick felt like such a threat to the stability that I was working so hard to create that in the early years of our marriage, if I was around, if I knew that my kid, one of our big kids had gone to spend the night at somebody's house and then that kid came down with something, I would spend days 
Why ruminating not? over, worrying about whether our kids were going to get sick. Now, anybody who has kids knows sickness comes a dime a dozen. It's like kids get sick all the time. So that is nothing that you can control. But I was telling myself, I would find myself so far down the line as to what I'm going to do, how I'm going to rearrange our week, how I'm going to rearrange our schedule to accommodate the sickness that surely is coming for my family. You know, and the fear of that being so much worse than, you know, the 5% of the time that we actually did get sick. (laughs) Yeah. Again, you feel like you're prepping yourself to survive, but all you're like, yeah, it's a primitive instinct that kicks in. Mm -hmm. Something's telling your brain this is a matter of life or death, Mm -hmm. even if it's not. Yeah. And most of the time it's not. And so we have to reframe, right? We have to reshape what we're telling ourselves, And you, you can do that again, by going into some real thankfulness. Rarely do you solve anxiety by rationalizing with it. You're just finding answers that Uh suffice. Yeah. There's no good, there's no good answer to an anxious question. And so what I like for people to do, like, let's say that you find yourself in the middle of anxiety and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm really overwhelmed. To me, one of the first things that you can do is you want to get really present with where you're at right now. Get out of the future. When I was talking to Abby Stumball, one of the things she said is, I used to future trip. I would get stuck in the future, the what ifs, what's going to happen. And again, unless you're doing that with God, unless you're going to the future with God and you're dreaming with him, almost all future and past focus is anxiety filled. And so get out of the future, get into the present. So you could take your shoes off if that helps you. You can walk on the grass. I know it sounds really hippie-ish, but those things can help you. Yeah, uh, It's called getting grounded, right? And uh, what I want to do is I want to get into what's happening right now. If you feel anxiety in your chest, here's what you have to remember. It's, it is literally just an emotion. And if you allow it, it has a life cycle. It has like a very short life cycle, that actual feeling of Anxiety, if you just go, okay, I feel it in my chest right now, it's gonna get better. It's and you just let it work its course for a second, right? I'm gonna take a few deep breaths. I'm gonna bring it breathe out slower than I'm breathing in, right? Take a deep breath. I'm gonna breathe out slower than I'm breathing in, and you start to focus on there goes that and there goes that emotion. It's coming down. I'm feeling better. <clears throat> my day's not gonna be full of this. I'm going to feel peace today, right? I'm changing what I'm saying. And I, I allow myself to work through just the cycle of the emotion. And so, okay, now, is there something that I need to start telling myself different? And that could be a million things depending upon your anxiety. It's like, um, you know, are my kids, uh, is my daughter going to throw another fit tomorrow morning? Well, I don't have control over that. So instead of trying to control whether or not she throws a fit, I could start to go, hey, I'm so thankful for my daughter. And I'm thankful that our life isn't going to always be this, right? And I'm thankful that she's learning right now. It's not actually even a problem that she throws a fit. It's it's her learning how to deal with her, her emotions. She doesn't know how to regulate, right? So I'm starting to tell myself a different story. What was the story I was telling myself that this is going to permanently hurt her, that I'm not doing a good job as a parent that I don't really know what I'm doing. Those are all common things that parents go through 
when they're dealing with toddlers, whatever your story is, right? I'm starting to re, uh, refocus, change what I'm telling myself and go back to what is real? Well, what's real? So I do this with people a lot. I'll give you one scenario is I'm working with some uh, leaders, church leaders, and they have a world-class church, but they also experience a lot of uh, persecution. They have an incredible church and I get them back to, okay, are your kid, do your kids love God? Yeah, they do. Is your marriage strong? Yeah. Are you guys financially stable in your church? Yes. Is God showing up? Yes. Okay, anything else that you're telling yourself is not real. Let's get back to what is actually real. And we all have bad things happening in our life. We all have things that are a bummer. I'm going to get God's perspective on those. Not mine. I'm going to get God's perspective. So, you know, we've all had children that are really struggling and really doing things that they're not supposed to do. Okay, I'm not even going to solve that. The lie is that I'm going to solve that. The truth is, is that God's got a great plan that I can partner with. So I'm going to get back again. I'm going to take my shoes off. I'm going to stand on my carpet. I'm getting my feet in the dirt. I'm going to get back grounded into today. I'm right here. I have right now. I don't have the future. I don't have the past. What can I start focusing on? I'm taking those breaths. I'm letting the anxiety pass or my sweaty palms or all that stuff is normal. Like it's normal to feel that and it's normal for it to go away. I'm working myself through it. I can feel it going away. Okay, now what, am, what do I need to, what's the real story? God, what is the real story, story for me right now, right here? I'm fine. I'm in Northern California. My wife loves me. I'm working at a job that is incredible. I am, you know, what's my task? So the next piece would be, what do I need to do today? What can I actually do today that's going to help benefit my life? Get myself out of the future, get it out of the past, and get it into today. What's something today that I actually can control? Yeah, that's that was one of the most helpful tools that you shared with me back in that season where I was becoming really acquainted with anxiety. And I just wanted to say that I think if you're in a relationship, because this this anxiety that we're talking about, it really does have a lot of a lot of effects, a lot of impact on relationship. It's very hard to be in a healthy, intimate relationship when anxiety is running somebody's life because it just impacts the way that you make decisions, the way that you spend your time, how you, you kind of live guarded. If you're really struggling with a lot of anxiety, it's hard to let your guard down enough to actually be intimate with someone. And I'm not talking sexually, I'm talking about emotionally yeah. or just you know mentally connected to people. It's hard when you're spinning out in anxiety. So I would say, you know, there's a lot about Jason's anxiety battle that I didn't understand or know how to validate until I experienced it for the first time myself. Myself. And I would say that, you know, I didn't know how to, to validate the experiences of like capacity limits. When you're spinning out in anxiety, your capacity is so limited and that's hard to understand. If you're not the person struggling with anxiety in that relationship, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get it. Uh, the need for self-care. I didn't actually know. Part of my anxiety was it was all rooted in so much over-responsibility. I really neglected, genuinely neglected taking care of myself. I would prioritize taking care of things around me because it was such a false sense of control. And I actually needed control in order to manage my anxiety. So no, I wouldn't actually ever prioritize recreation over getting things done. My to-do list was always more important until I learned that it wasn't. Um, 
And then that last key that Jay shared was probably one of the biggest ones for me to stay present because worrying is typically all about the future. For me, uh, I remember, I specifically remember driving in the car one day, we were heading to church and I was worrying, worrying, worrying about something. And you said, you need to tell yourself, I have permission to have a great day today which it was essentially like getting myself out of that future forecasting mode and into that's not what's happening right now. What's happening right now is I'm driving in the car. It's a beautiful sunny day. The birds are chirping. I have three healthy kids in the back seat. We're on our way to church. We're going to have a great day. And just that grounding experience of getting yourself back into the present. And I would say I use that tool so much even still if i start to feel anxiety creep in i'll often tell myself i have permission to have a great time right now i have permission to do well right now yeah so over planning is you know like we're we're getting ready to head to south carolina and it would be easy for us to sit and try to plan out every single thing every possibility every scenario instead of go like okay have I packed everything I need to pack right here? Have I done everything I need to do right here? And then trusting that you're going to have the grace to handle whatever scenario happens when you get to that point in your life that you can't figure everything out. So uh, one other thing that I think is really in, important and helpful is how much uh, other variables play into the piece of your life. So sleep is a massive one. Um, hormones are a massive one. People skip that stuff a lot. When I went through my nervous breakdown, part of why I ended up in a nervous breakdown is I was deathly deficient in vitamin D. Incredibly deficient. I was taking 100,000 IUs of vitamin D three times a week. Um, and I didn't know that. So that was a catalyst to what I was already had been dealing with in my life. So now I take vitamin D every single day and I will for the rest of my life. Uh, for men, testosterone is a massive thing that uh, my dad crashed and what they found is, oh, he was so deficient in testosterone. His testosterone was so low. Well, the effects of that is devastating uh, mentally and emotionally. And for women, you know, testosterone, but also um, estrogen, you know, just your thyroid stuff, right? Just all the different things that, really make a massive difference in the way that our brain works. Um, getting enough sunlight, but also getting enough sleep. So sleep is a superpower. We don't often talk about it enough. Uh, and the Huberman lab goes into it a lot. Andrew Huberman, like he's a neuroscientist from um, Stanford University, and he's got a lot of stuff on sleep, how to optimize your sleep. And we just know like, man, if you sleep really good, you're, the chance that you're going to have a good, be able to handle things and be robust is huge. Uh, so for me, I know lack of sleep every single time. I have to work harder to regulate my emotions than when I sleep well. I just know it is. I also found that caffeine was really jacking me up. So caffeine, in sugar. In chocolate, you weren't even a coffee drinker, just simply the caffeine in chocolate. Dark chocolate. Yep. So I quit dark chocolate. Actually, I found out too, for me, like excessive gum chewing. Um, I would, I would just be like, wow, I have so much more anxiety today than yesterday. What happened? <laughs> oh, I chewed like three packs of gum or two packs of gum. <laughs> I don't know. But so all those things, you know, you got to just pay attention to your body and find find out 
how, how do you really work? Because it's not just emotional. It's, and we make that mistake. And it's not just spiritual. It's not like, oh, you know, the devil's after me. And I hear people do that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, you just drank three Red Bulls yesterday. And you eat like crap. And then you don't sleep. Of course you have anxiety. It's actually coming from the physical, not the spiritual. And so being able to really identify how you are doing body, soul, and spirit, what you need in order to function well and thrive. Are you getting enough rest? Are you getting enough play? Do you have enough connection in your life? Do you have healthy patterns in your life? Are you eating well? Are you sleeping well? All those things play into you living a happy whole life. And I'll tell you, the American diet, I'm not talking food. I'm talking the American lifestyle is a hammer on your peace. And so, you know, if you're mm-hmm. gonna live a healthy, happy, whole life, don't follow the, the normal American diet. It's yeah. stay up late, eat whatever you want. Um, work all the time. Work all the time. Try to climb the success ladder. Social media. Yep, all that stuff just is a hammer. And so, guys, we hope that today was really helpful for you. Um, I just think that it is. I think if you'll start to implement these little things that can make a big difference in your life, you'll find that you have so much more peace and way less anxiety in your life. So if you love what you're doing, go ahead. Sorry, if you love what we are doing, not what you're (laughs) doing. If you love what we are doing, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Share it. If you know somebody who's struggling with anxiety, share this podcast with them. Help them out. Um, Go ahead and leave a comment. We read those comments. I read them. Uh, Lauren reads them. The reviews uh, on the podcast help us so much to be known and to share our podcast with other people. We love you guys. So thankful for you. We will see you next week.